Our world today that we live in is full of comparison. And by that I mean that many people are comparing themselves to other people, trying to either better themselves or just wishing that they had the life of another person. And uh, many people do this by spending their lives, uh, or at least a good portion of their life, looking at Facebook or other social media. And I'm not saying that that's a sin, but it is a sin to compare ourselves to other people and to wish for something that is obviously not God's will for us at the moment. And when we step back from our covetousness and we step back from the sin of wishing for something that's not God's will, we then turn to God in desperation and we ask him for the, the wisdom that we need. We, we start looking at, for his wisdom as we saw last week. We then begin to see our life according to God's economy. And God's economy is many times counterintuitive to the way we think. You say, what do you mean? It, it's upside down. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. It's totally different than the way we would, we would view it in our world today. And I want you to join with me now as we go back to the book of James. And James, again, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, is written much like the book of Proverbs in that it jumps to several different uh, topics within itself, but sometimes stays in the same ballpark. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. James is, is talking in the, in the context of, of trials, but for a brief moment, James turns his attention away uh, from just talking about trials and speaks of a comparison between two brothers in Christ, a brother of low degree, one who is poor, and one who is rich. So let's read our text together here, starting in verse 9, as you found your place there in James chapter 1. It says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. And this can be a a difficult passage of Scripture, and we can oftentimes in our Bible reading kind of skip over these three verses to the more familiar uh, verses and commands in the book of James about uh, being doers of the word and not hearers only and other things that we would remember from this book. But God has these verses here for a reason, and they're for our instruction. And so, as we step through them together, we're going to see two brothers, Christian brothers in Christ, uh, two pictures given, and only one life that you and I have to live. The the, uh, hymn, the well-known hymn, Only One Life by Avis B. Christensen, uh, reads this, and I have that first verse written there in, in your, in your uh, bulletin if you want to take a look. It says, Only one life to offer, Jesus my Lord and King, only one tongue to praise Thee and of Thy mercy sing forever. Only one heart's devotion, Savior, O may it be, consecrated alone to Thy matchless glory, yielded fully to Thee. You only have one life to live for Jesus, and it is best lived 
for the eternal, not the temporal. Let's pray. Father, would you show us in our lives where we have allowed the temporal to take the throne of our life. And Lord, if that is in any way our focus this morning, I pray that we would get our focus back on you, that we would see you for who you are, see you in your character, and see you in your love for us, and that we, we couldn't help but dethrone those idols in our lives. Or would you give us yourself this morning? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It can be very easy to compare yourself, even in Shawano Baptist Church, to other people, to others who have more than you in life and think that having those things uh, or, or even a more luxurious lifestyle is going to be what we would consider ultimate exaltation, as we refer to the verse 9 there, that he is exalted. We would think that that is the life that we want. That's the life that we want for our family. But Scripture refutes that. And let's look firstly at these two brothers. Verse 9, we see two brothers compared. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Here we see, let's look at the first brother there in verse 9. It's the brother of low degree. And brother here, as James is describing it, as it as is described in many epistles, is, is, is speaking specifically of a brother in Christ. You say, well, how do you know that? What was James' audience that we talked about a few weeks ago? Just in verse 1, those who are scattered abroad, those who are fleeing persecution, he's writing to brothers in Christ. And so... Uh, understanding that this is a Christian who, it, who has fallen into the, the trial of poverty only makes sense in the, in the general English. As also, by way of explanation, this is not talking about being low as in the way Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount puts it, being poor in spirit. This is talking about physical poverty, not, not being poor in spirit, humble, or any sort of emotion of being down in the dumps or, or feeling low. It's clear when we read the context that this is literally someone who is poor in money. It's, not, it's also not talking about a brother who has brought poverty onto himself, not someone who has made unwise choices, but rather in the context of trial, poverty can be a very real trial in the church that some of us are experiencing especially during the time of a recession. So now let's look at what James tells this brother of low degree in verse 9. Verse nine. He says, Let the brother of low degree cover, covet his neighbor's stuff. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> Let the brother of low degree window shop on Amazon and dream about all the cool stuff that he or she could have. That's not what it says either. Let the brother of low degree compare himself to others in the church and wallow in his need, not thinking to ask God for wisdom about his situation. That's not what it says either. What does it say? James is tying verse 9 back to verse 2 when he says, My brethren, count it all joy. He says, Let the brother of low degree do what? Rejoice. Have joy. 
And, and we, we wonder, he's telling the, the brother of low degree to rejoice. Why should they rejoice? James obviously was not in the business of cutting stimulus checks and sending it to them. He wasn't going to be able to solve their problem with physical money. So the, the application that, that James is giving to these people is obviously a spiritual answer to their question, or spiritual answer to their need. He says, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. He's lifted up. Well, you know the rich people in the church are probably not the ones exalting this brother of low degree. It's not himself that's exalting himself. So how in the world is, is, is this an exaltation for this brother of low degree? He's in his low estate. There is only one person when he himself is credited to our account that gives us the state, that, that, that makes our accounts rich enough by his righteousness to the point where we can be considered exalted. And who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about him. You can rejoice today if you are poor today and you are maybe making it by. Maybe your life is living paycheck to paycheck. And it's not because you're trying to. It's because you are physically uh, in need. And God says you have reason to rejoice this morning because now you are seeing your ultimate need in your trial. In our lives, when we are in, when we are in financial hurt, when we are more, uh, more often than not, those are the times that we get to see God's hand the most. When we're not making unwise decisions, when we're not despising the wisdom of God as he's speaking to us on how to use and steward his money wisely. By the way, it's his. his bank, that's his bank account, not yours. And you are being a wise steward of, of the little bit that you have. You can see God's hand all day long, every day, and seeing how he, he puts the, the pieces together and how he provides for you that he is Jehovah Jireh. And we see his loving hand provide the food in our lives, in the health and the strength to give worship and praise back to him. He is the very one sustaining your life so that you can give him all the praise that he deserves. And that's, that's what that trial produces in our lives. That's why we have reason to rejoice. Let's look at the second brother in verse 10. It says, but the rich in that he is made low. There are different interpretations on this. Some people try to interpret this in the way that because it doesn't say rich brother, that it's thinking about an evil man, such as maybe Proverbs would put that. But I want, I want to take this as a direct comparison in the Word of God as it's implied, I believe, by the English. He's saying, but the rich of the same kind, he's in the, he's in the same category here, He's a brother in Christ, and that he is to rejoice in that he is made low. So the two implied comparisons that it's talking about is it's a direct opposite, meaning that he is a rich believer and that both brothers should be rejoicing. Okay? In the book of Proverbs, what is often compared is the wise man to the rich fool. 
in the Gospels, many times the rich fool is talked about in relation to salvation, about how he's building up barns and, and different things, and he doesn't think about the, the, the night, that night his soul will be required of him. That's not what James is comparing here. He's comparing literally two brothers speaking to Christians and saying, even the brother who is rich and he's made low needs to rejoice. So why is that? Or what, what is being applied here? I believe the application to both of these brothers is the same, even though it may not seem the same at first glance. The brother of low degree rejoices in the one who can meet his physical needs and has met his ultimate eternal need at the cross. The rich brother, though, the brother of riches can rejoice in being brought low, a, a trial of poverty, in being, being, being brought low because it returns him and his focus back to that old rugged cross. And the fact that he, we see that right there in the text. Look at the end of verse 10, and you'll see it to be true. It says, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. In other words, everything that matters is eternal. Everything that truly matters in your life is eternal. And when a rich Christian is brought low, he's brought back to the cross and literally realizing everything that he truly has that is going to last is eternal. And so both of these brothers are seeing the same, same thing, that eternal is what counts. Now, I want you to keep those two words in the back of your mind for a moment. We'll come back to them in, in a second, eternal and temporal. But let's look at the two pictures that James gives to us in verse 11. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass. And the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. These two pictures that are given to us are, number one, of fading nature. And I, I love being able, uh, my, my son kind of understands words at this point. He's starting to, to piece words together in a sentence. But I, I look forward to the day when I can be out, you know, maybe plant something and, and teach him about nature in relation to God. And, and all of us as families should be taking those opportunities every chance we get to teach, teach uh, children about God's character through, through the nature that he gives to us. But here he's teaching us about fading nature. And then the second thing he gives us is right there at the end of the verse, a fading life. So let's look at these, let's look at these uh, uh, pictures that he gives us and that life that he's speaking of that, fading, that is fading is that Christian's life. So first, fading nature. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. You don't need a rocket scientist, much less me, to explain to you that sun is good and it's needed for the growth of plants and grass. But when the burning heat is, is, is weighing in on, on those plants and that grass, what happens to it? It dies. It fades. Or if we can put it this way, it consumes their days on this earth. They fade away. And then God gives us a second picture. He says at the end of that verse, So also 
shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Oh, he might be a child of God. He might be saved. But when his life is focused on gaining riches, when it's consumed with uh, gaining a, a, a luxurious lifestyle or just really too much focused on, on, on the, the temporal things that are going to melt away in this life, all of us can, can uh, fall, fall trapped to, to those things. And he says if, if he puts that in his life, it will pass away. It will melt away. When, when all is said and done and you get to heaven, the only things that are going to be there is what you, what you, the riches that you, you stored up for eternity. Some of those riches can be those that the Lord will give you and will give you to cast at his feet. Other riches will be those that you led to Jesus Christ that you'll get to see and you won't get to see them cast into hell. They'll be there for all of eternity. Those are the things that matter. Not the, 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 the bonuses you get, not the different things that you work for, not, not that overtime that you, you worked, even though it may be needed. All of those things that we, that we want, cars even, as we were talking about this morning, they're going to burn up. They are going to burn up one day. And what it matters is what we live for is for eternity. This leads us to our third and final point. You only have one life. You only get one life. You don't get a do-over. And I don't care if your name is Mario or Luigi. You, you only get one life. This isn't a video game. God gives us one vapor to live for Him. And I'm going to tell you, some of you sitting in this auditorium this morning, your vapor is half done or more. What? What, are, what eternal value do you want, do you want to, to show and, and, and present before your Lord when you get there? What lives do you want to have impacted? What investment, and I'm not necessarily just talking about physical money, what lives have you invested in that will be for eternal value? Who have you told about Jesus Christ and His cross and what he did for them that is of eternal value. The second and third verses of only one life say this, Only this hour is mine, Lord. And that's speaking of this one little speck on the, the timeline of eternity. I get one hour. Uh, that's my life on the speck of eternity. Only this hour is mine, Lord. May it be used for thee. May every passing moment count for eternity, my Savior. Souls all about are dying, dying in sin and shame. Help me bring them the message of Calvary's redemption in thy glorious name. Only one life to offer. Take it, dear Lord, I pray. Nothing from thee withholding. Thy will I now obey, my Jesus. Thou who hast freely given thine all. In all for me. And he has. Claim this life for thine own to be used, my Savior, every moment for thee. When we get that truth, and that truth that's laid out so clearly in Scripture that he has really given us is all. Everything in my life that is temporal, and, and, and God has given us temporal things in this life to enjoy and, and to and to. Uh, and to, to just for our joy and our pleasure. 
But God wants that not to take take first place in our life. That does not need to be on the throne of our life. That is not what we live for. Your life is best lived for the eternal, not the temporal, because the eternal is what is going to matter. In closing, I want to read you just two more passages of Scripture. Psalm 39, verse 4. We studied through this not too long ago. Psalm 39, verse 4 says, Lord, as David is crying out to God, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. I don't have long on this earth. My vapor's half done. If I was to live, I'm, I'm 30 now, but if I was to live even 70 years, my vapor's almost half done. And I don't, the thing is, none of us know how many grains of sand are in our hourglass. You think about that. Your life could be taken today. Your life could be taken when you're 50. Your life could be taken when you're 55. And you don't know that. And God says it's best that you live for the eternal, not the temporal. Psalm 107, verses 8 and 9. Say this, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Temporal things will never satisfy a heart that has been created to feast on the eternal. The things that you're going after in life, the things that you're most concerned about in life, the things that are, are idols to you need to be ripped away this morning because those are not what you were created to feast on. You're, you were created to feast on things for eternity and things that will impact eternity, people's lives that are dying around us and going to hell. People in this church that need encouragement more than you need to be concerned about what you're doing this week. Your time, your resources, your treasure needs to be focused towards eternity. You only have one life to live for Jesus. Which are you living for? Father, I pray that as we just meet with you this morning personally, that you will, that you will speak to us and rip those idols literally from our lives. Or would you give us an eternal perspective? And Lord, would you help us to, to see where we've, we've been temporal, where we've, uh, where we've been comparing ourselves, or where we have, have uh, had the wrong focus this morning. Just as you have uh, heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning and, and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. You don't know how much time you have. You only have one life. You're not going to get a do-over. And, and don't put off the decision to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You may say, well, I will trust Jesus when he gets me out of the financial turmoil that I'm in. My friend, he, he may not. He's not obligated to. And if you're going to wait to trust Jesus for salvation, the salvation that he's willing to hold out to you right now, it may be too late. You say, Pastor, this morning I, I'm that one that, that I don't know where I'm going when I die. I don't have assurance that I'll be with Jesus in heaven. 
would you, would you mind if I prayed for you this morning just with uplifted hand? You say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure that, I'm, that I have forgiveness of sins and a home in heaven. Is there anyone like that here this morning? Then believer, what are you going to do with the rest of the vapor of your life? Has your heart become so cold that you honestly don't care anymore? Or even think about it anymore? Maybe you are a brother or sister of low degree and you've found it hard to rejoice through that trial. He has, he, he, he has the reason to rejoice. It's found in him. And maybe this morning you just need to, to ask him for some of that heavenly wisdom that he offers so generously that he wants to give to you through that trial. Maybe you're the rich person. Maybe you're, you're well off. Does God need to bring you low in order for you to come back into focus on what is more important? And, and God's not threatening you this morning. I don't want you to get the wrong idea, but God does promise. He does promise that all of your earthly gains are going to melt away when it comes to eternity. Is it really worth it living for the temporal in light of eternity being right around the corner? So let's stand prayerfully together. And as the piano plays just a couple of verses this morning, as we stand prayerfully, heads bowed, eyes closed, I would encourage you, if the Lord has spoken to you, come to the front, kneel at a chair, kneel at your, the place where you are, sit down, talk to God, and speak to Him about what He's he has put on your heart this morning.